We ended last week with uh, a look at the restoration of the Apostle Peter. He had uh, fallen in sin where he had denied Christ, and then Jesus there on the shores of Galilee graciously put all of the events in place, and we talked about that least that, that last week, how Peter was restored uh, to a position of leadership. In fact, he was called by Christ at that time to be a pastor to the church. And that's exactly what happened in Peter's life. Uh, over the next few weeks, uh, the apostle Peter gathered with those who would pray in the upper room until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church and Peter stood and began to preach uh, a gospel of Jesus Christ based on his Old Testament scripture. And then uh, after, but, but shortly after that, and here's the point that I want to get to, because this leads us to where we are in Peter's letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. That's going to be our text today. Immediately after Pentecost, as the church began to grow, the very next story in the New Testament is Peter and John going up to the, the temple to pray because it was time to pray, Scripture says, and they healed a man and began to preach the gospel again and were imprisoned for it and thrown in jail. They were released from jail. They were imprisoned again. In fact, before, before Acts chapter 6, when the first deacons were ordained, Peter, Peter had already been jailed at least three times. There's direct reference to three different imprisonments in Peter's life before you even get to Acts chapter 6. Then you have the event that, that many are, are aware of in Acts chapter 12 where James, so Acts chapter 7, Stephen, one of those first deacons, was stoned to death, tortured for his faith and stoned to death. Right after that, James, one of Peter's comrades, you had James, John, and Peter were Jesus' three best friends. They were the closest to Christ. James, the brother of John, was beheaded by Herod. And the crowds loved it so much, and it, it, they, they were so appreciative for Herod for torturing and killing James, he wanted to do it again. So he arrested Peter, and Peter was held in prison until the Holy Spirit set him free. All of those events happened very early in the church. I want you to, to hear that because when we get to 1 Peter, this letter that Peter wrote to the church that was scattered across Asia Minor about 30 years later, okay? So the, the, the date of 1 Peter is probably around 62 to 64 AD, just with all the indicators in the text. By the time we get to that, I can imagine that Peter and many in the church had faced great suffering. So a large part of the purpose of 1 Peter is going to be to encourage the believers to continue to grow in their faith and trust God, walk in obedience to the Lord, even when and especially when they suffer. Because many of them are going to suffer greatly. In fact, more than likely within just a couple years after Peter wrote this, Peter was caught up in Nero's persecution and greatly suffered and died. So we, we come to 1 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to go ahead and read the, the introduction, starting in verse 1. Our focus is going to be on the first main text from verse 3 down to verse 9. But read with me this incredible text and this intro to this first letter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to 
those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept for you in heaven. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishing is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In this text, Peter answers the question, how can we continue in suffering? How can we continue to to walk and to trust and to believe, believe even though we go through various times of suffering? Peter points to the fact that his great mercy has rescued us, has made us alive, given us new birth unto a living hope. And so the the first section here, the first point that I want to make is that we stand confident in our living hope. That's how we're going to face trials and tribulation and suffering and struggles in this life. Now, few of us are going to face the kind of things that Peter faced. There's not many of us that are going to be in prison for our faith, that are going to be beaten for our faith, that are going to be uh, shipwrecked as we're trying to go from, from place to place to spread the gospel. And yet, every single one of us in this life is going to face suffering, and trials and temptation. It's a part of this world. A part of it it, it comes into this world just because of our own sin. Sometimes we face struggles because of our sin. Sometimes we face struggles because of other sin. But regardless, it's, it's a natural part of the world that we live in. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 16 that they, they weren't going to escape the, the trials and the troubles of this world. He ended that long message there in John 16, 33 with these words, I want you to, to, to have peace in this, because in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Jesus affirmed that we are going to face suffering and trials and temptation. Just the very fact that we live and must at some point die, that we have loved ones who live and at some point we're going to lose them, lays the foundation for us to struggle and to suffer. So how do we face, how do we deal with suffering? First of all, we stand confident in our living hope. Because of God's great mercy, 
we have been given new birth. Not a single one of us deserve eternal life. None of us deserve the forgiveness that was purchased on the cross by Christ. In fact, the scripture says that you and I have sinned against a holy God. And and if our father's sin wasn't enough and our mother's sin wasn't enough, our sin is plenty. I've sinned against a holy God. And because I've sinned against a holy God, I deserve to be separated from him for all of eternity. That's the root of the gospel. But God sent his one and only son to come and shed his blood so that we could be born again, so that we could have a new birth in Christ, to be made alive. Something inside of us was, that was once dead has been made alive. We have received a new birth because of his great mercy. His mercy means that God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve punishment because of our sin. In God's mercy, he sent his son to die for us so that we could have a chance, an offer of everlasting life. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth unto a living hope. The first thing that you need to see is he's the one who caused us to be born again according to his mercy, and it is unto a living hope. This hope is alive. We are not here because we believe in a set of philosophies. We're not here because we hold to a a core set of doctrines or because of a religion that we want to follow. We are here because of the person of Jesus Christ who died on a cross and rose again. We don't don't gather to celebrate religion. We gather to celebrate a holy God who restored a relationship with us through his son, Jesus. In in, in scripture, it is a living hope that is based on the fact that Christ rose up out of the grave. And that's exactly what Peter says here. We have a new birth into a living hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The one whom we worship can't be found in a grave somewhere. The one whom we worship rose up out of that grave and ascended to the right hand of his father and intercedes for us to this very day in the throne room of glory. Our hope is alive. Just as sure as Jesus rose, our hope is alive. And we have been resurrected. We will be resurrected with Christ and and experience an inheritance because of that living hope. So here's the next part of it. He He caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus that that new birth will result in an inheritance that he has set aside for us. Now, this is a beautiful picture of what Christ has in store for us is an inheritance, first of all, that is imperishable. It cannot be destroyed. It will not wear down. Okay? It is imperishable. What a beautiful picture because we we love new things, right? I, I love the smell of a new car. I love my, I love the new truck when the, when the Lord allowed me to get a new truck a few years ago, but it's not new anymore. And, and everything in this world eventually begins to break down. Everything in this world is perishable. I love the, the, the sweet uh, cherries that we bought up in the mountains of Montana for a day or two. 
But if you don't keep them cold, they perish pretty quickly. What God has in store for us is imperishable. Our inheritance is nothing like anything that we know or experience on this earth. The inheritance that we have through Christ Jesus is absolutely imperishable. The scripture says here it's also undefiled. It cannot be made corrupt. It, it cannot be turned upside down. Evil can't touch it. And so not only is it imperishable, it, will, it, it never wears out. It can never be corrupted. It can never be flipped. It can never be made bad. And it is unfading. It will never decrease in beauty or power or worth. The inheritance that we have in Christ, regardless of what happens in this world, okay, because of the mercy of God who, is, who has offered us a, living, a new birth unto a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, we have an inheritance from God that is imperishable, that is undefiled and unfading. We can't even imagine or, or match anything like that on this earth because everything that we have on this earth eventually perishes or it fades or becomes defiled. But what God has stored up for us in heaven in our inheritance is completely perfect and will remain that way by his power. Here's the last thing that I want you to see in that section. That inheritance that's undefiled, unfading, is kept for you in heaven. And you are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Here's the good news, brothers and sisters in Christ. If you have been born Again, if you have been born anew unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you cannot lose it. You are, you are held by his power. You are retained by his power, not by your strength or your measure of faith. What keeps you, what keeps the promise from fading is the power of a holy God the God who created all of this, the God who sent his son in the first place, the power that, that brought Jesus up out of the grave and, and with victory over death, hell and the grave. It is his power that protects you. You are guarded by his power because of the faith that you've placed in him. You are guarded by God's power through faith, scripture says. So ultimately, it is God's mercy and grace by his grace and by faith, you are held until the day of redemption. You are his and you are wrapped up in his arms and nothing can remove you from his arms. Your inheritance is unthreatened. It is sealed until the day of redemption. Why does that matter? Because sometimes this world stinks. And it feels like the world's run off the rails it feels like your life has run into a brick wall. Sometimes it feels like God isn't even present and he doesn't even know your name. 
But the promise of God's word is that if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have been born again to a living hope through the power of his resurrection, and you have an inheritance that is sealed and set by the power of God. Nothing can take that from you. So you can move forward in this life by grace, through faith, regardless of what comes. And it will. The first time I remember preaching from this text was July the 23rd. On Sunday, July the 23rd of 1989. And I stood in the pulpit, and we're going to, I want to show you a picture. There's the pulpit. Stood in that pulpit and preached the truth of God's word that we would suffer in this life and that, that by grace through faith, God would do a work in our life and purify our lives and, 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 and keep us because we'd been born again to a living hope. Now, just a few weeks before that, I was on a roll. I'd graduated, and there's my beautiful wife, who at that point was uh, six months pregnant, which you can barely tell. Uh, she's hiding it pretty well with that uh, diploma. And so in, in about six months before I preached that message, Susan and I were excited and we're looking forward to welcoming our first daughter into this world. I preached that message on July the 23rd, on Sunday. Katie was born on Saturday of the next week. The next picture is a picture of Katie at two days old. Now, many of y'all know her story. Katie was born in Abilene, Texas, and had a lot of birth defects. They were told that she probably wouldn't live through the night. She was care flighted to Cook's Children's Fort Worth, where she spent her first month in the hospital. Uh, at this point, she, she was two days old. She already had one surgery. We've got another picture that shows you a little bit more. Uh, we learned a little bit more by then. She was five days old uh, in this photo. Uh, you see her hooked up to all kinds of tubes and IVs. And Katie spent a month in the hospital that time. Now, many of you know that, that Katie ended up having uh, 21 surgeries by the time she was three days old. She faced a lot of suffering. In fact, uh, we've got a picture from about six months after that. I mean, this is the last picture I'm going to show you. I just want to give you some context of those of you that don't know. This was uh, Katie's medical supplies at our house. If you see in the upper left-hand corner, our storage room had been completely turned over into a medical supply storage unit because Katie was on peritoneal dialysis. Now, if any of you nurses are familiar with peritoneal dialysis now, you may not recognize that machine. Uh, the machine that's used now is, would fit in a carry-on suitcase. Uh, the machine that was used then, back in 1990, when we started doing peritoneal dialysis, was this huge, monstrous thing had a scale up on top that was very sensitive. In fact, if it was under an air conditioner vent or you left a piece of paper on that thing, that thing would alarm like mad uh, until you fixed it, figured it out. We can move on past those, those photos now. I wanted you to see those pictures because 
Just yesterday, I realized that today's message fell on the exact same day, 34 years later. And I'm here to tell you that what I preached from God's word, from 1 Peter chapter 1, 34 years ago, I preached it by faith because it's what God's word said. A few days after that, I began to experience the very presence of God and the strength of God in the midst of what for us was a really challenging time of great suffering. Now, if you don't know, if you're new to the church, Katie lived 14 years and 11 months. There were several times when we were told that the, she probably wouldn't live through the night. There were three times when we, it was recommended that we remove her from life support early in her life. And God miraculously rescued her and, and gave her a, a, a wonderful uh, life. And we were blessed with an incredible daughter. But I want you to see that because I, I, there's something just weird about God's timing that today I'd be coming back to that text, not unplanned, and that we land here. Some of you are going through great suffering. Some of you have just come out of times of suffering. As Dr. Rainey would say, if those two statements are not true for you, then the rest of you are probably about to go into suffering. Because that's, that's the nature of the human life. We move from one circumstance that requires our faith into another. The promise is that the Lord is always there with us. Now let's walk through the rest of the text. Because there's purpose. When God takes us through these difficult times, there is always purpose. Our trials are never planned or allowed by God without purpose. There in verse 6, Peter says, you rejoice in this. He's not telling us to rejoice in our suffering. Depending on which translation you read, it, it's hard to tell if he's saying rejoice in your suffering or rejoice in what I've just told you. I think that the, the translators of the CSB and their punctuation and the placement of the English here get it right. I think what Peter's saying is rejoice in the fact that you have a living hope in Christ. Rejoice in, a fa in the fact that you have been sealed by the power of God and you have an inheritance that is undefiled. Rejoice in the fact that, that your, your eternity, your life is secure in God. And as you rejoice in that, rejoice in this, even though for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Rejoice in the fact that you're in God's hands. Rejoice in the fact that you've been born anew by him. Rejoice in the fact that you have an inheritance that cannot be taken away and cannot fade away and cannot be defiled. Rejoice in that because in this world, you're going to face trouble. And as you face suffering in this world, and he doesn't just use the word trial here. He uses the word suffering. Even though for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, you and I will suffer grief in this world. And as we suffer grief, we can make it. We can hold on because we have a God who's holding on to us and our eternity is secure. 
But even in that, even in that suffering, know this, God has a purpose. The first thing that, that he notes here is that you are being, being purified, even though for a short time of necessary you suffer grief and various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God has purpose for suffering in your life. One of the reasons God allows suffering in your life is so that your faith can be purified. The imperfections in our life, and Peter here uses the illustration of gold that's being purified. And even though gold's not as valuable as your soul, Gold still goes through a purification process. Gold is put to the fire so that the impurities will rise to the top and they can be scooped out. So God allows us to go through suffering and trials so that the impurities in our faith, in our lives, can be scooped out. I remember when I first surrendered to the ministry as a young man in high school, it seemed like every week God was dealing with me. And, and I mean, I... As a young man, I was struggling with all kinds of stuff. And it, it either every, on Sunday morning or Sunday evening, it seemed like every week. You know, we had Sunday morning worship with a regular preaching, and we had Sunday evening preaching at Leander First Baptist Church. Here I'd come down the aisle, and I'd come down, and I'd take that preacher's hand, and I'd confess some new sin to him and, and ask him to pray for me and to help me through. Hey, I, I finally got tired of going to him. I just started going to the altar and praying and asking God to, to, uh, to cleanse me and to take something away from me. And and I remember talking to my pastor about it, and I said, what is going on? Why isn't he, he, he just told me, he said, the closer you get to Christ, the more he reveals those things in your life that he wants to weed out. God was taking me through a weeding process, and sometimes that hurts. But God was cleaning things out of my life. Sometimes he allows us to go through suffering so that we'll let go of things we ought not be holding on to. Sometimes he allows us to go through suffering to literally burn out stuff out of our lives that doesn't need to be there. It's a purification process. So God is purifying your faith and he has a purpose for it. We'll get to the final purpose in a moment, kind of the end result. The second thing that I see here is your faith is being proven. It's being purified, but it's also being proven. And what that word proven means, it's not to, to show that it's right, but proving by fire is when, when someone would take a piece of metal and put heat to it, and then hammer it out, and then quench it, and then put it back under the fire again, and hammer it out, and then quench it again. I've learned more about this process in the last few years with a young man that grew up in this church. And many of you know Jeff Davidson. And uh, I've just been enamored by the work that he does and the, the handmade knives that he creates. And one of the things that I love about his knives, uh, of course, you all know I'm a hunter, and I'm, I'm not going to get too far into this, but I, I would, uh, when I would would go to the field to field dress an animal, especially with some of the particular animals that have tough hides. I would have a, a knife that I, it was a store-bought knife that I would start the process and I would have to stop about halfway through and sharpen that knife and then I would have to finish the process. After I bought one of Jeff's knives, I can field dress three or four or five animals without having to sharpen the knife because he has proven the metal He's put it to the fire and he has hardened the metal of that knife so that it is a more useful tool in my hands. And it doesn't have to be resharpened over and over and over. It does its job. God puts us to the fire so that we become more useful tools for his kingdom, so that we, we become sharp and useful in his hands. And oftentimes the suffering that takes place in our life is for that very purpose 
so that we can become more useful in the hand of God for fulfilling his purpose. We are proven by the fires, by the suffering. We are purified by the fires and the suffering. And the end result of that, God's goal in that, you see there at the end of verse 7 or in verse 8, sorry, it's in the end of verse 7, may result in the praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The purpose for God allowing us to go through suffering that we might be be purified and proven to become more useful for his kingdom is so that Jesus will receive glory. Well, why should he get all the glory? Why shouldn't I get some of that glory? Because I had no ability to save myself. The hope that I have, the future that I have, that inheritance that I have was all bought and paid for by the Son of God. In fact, the good news of that is there's nothing I could do to gain it there's nothing I can do to lose it because it's held by his power. And so he deserves the glory and the praise and the honor. And so God allows us to go through times of suffering that he might receive glory and praise and honor directed toward the son, Jesus Christ. This week I had a, a chaplain call and the chaplain call happened, and this is the first one I've had that had this particular issue. It was an elderly lady who was on home peritoneal dialysis. In fact, the machine that she was on was almost the exact same one, not that was in the picture, but the one that we used toward the end of Katie's life. So here I am on a chaplain call visiting with this lady's stepdaughter who was there taking care of her, understanding that this, this woman had been on the same kind of dialysis Katie was on when Katie passed away. Now, you can be assured that I made the connection. I came back and Julie was asking me about it. And really, uh, it, it wasn't a, a, a really hard one because it was an elderly lady who was ready to go home and be with the Lord. But Julie, Julie was, she's always worried about me. She says, sometimes when you come back from chaplain calls, I know you're having a hard time. And I said, but she starts asking me questions. And the more questions she asked, the harder I got. And the more I talked about it, the more I had those tears. And I told her, we, we talked about the peritoneal dialysis and we talked about Katie's situation and, and a few other things that were particular to the call. And as I, as I began to walk away, I said, you know, Julie, what I'm going to be preaching this week. This is just a reminder that God allowed Katie to go through that suffering. He allowed us to walk through that for his glory. There's no way I'd be the pastor I am today. There's no way I'd be the chaplain that God's called me to be if he had not taken me through his school of suffering. My prayer is that Jesus received glory and honor and praise because of what he's doing and what he's done. Now, I can, I can make it. I can hold on because of him. I just simply look back to what he has done. You know, it's not about us. Our trials ultimately, our suffering as a Christian ultimately is never about us. It's always about him. Max Licato came out with a book called It's Not About Us. That book actually came out the year before Katie passed away. 
there were two chapters in that book that, that especially touched me, and Katie read them as a, as a young woman. She, she loved to read anyway, and this was not the easiest thing for her to read. But chapter 10 in Lakato's book is My Body is About Him. Chapter 11 is My Struggles are About Him. Your suffering, your struggles, your body, God created you for his glory and for his purposes. Even your suffering is for his glory, for his purposes, that he might receive praise and honor. He created us to bring him glory. And we can't do that in our own strength. But he can do that through us when we put our faith in him, our living hope. And then verses 8 and 9, Peter says, point us to this life that God's called us to live that is really pretty unexplainable in human terms. Because he writes to, to these people. Now, Peter had seen Jesus, but most of his church had not. And so listen to these words. Though you have not seen him, you love him. That doesn't make sense to a lost and dying world. In the human economy, that doesn't really add up. But though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. That just doesn't make sense to a world that's lost and dying. But we have the privilege of walking by faith in a God who is real who has given us a living hope, by faith, we love an unseen Savior. We don't see him every day with our eyes, but we see him by faith. By faith, we believe in impossible blessings. We believe him. We believe in him, even though we don't see him. And so Peter encourages the church, you have this opportunity to experience an incredible life directed and led by God, a God that you may not see, a God that you may have never seen with your own eyes, and yet you believe in him and you love him. We rejoice with indescribable joy. We can have a joy in the innermost part of our being that comes from the power of that living hope, that, that God who has placed in spirit inside of us, who has given us a living hope, so that we can rejoice with indescribable joy. There's times when we go through suffering that we are still overwhelmed by the joy of Christ and the world just won't get it. They cannot understand. That's an indescribable joy that only comes from Christ. And we never, ever lose heart when we put our trust in the one who is our living hope. Because our life and our eternity is secure in him. The Apostle Paul wrote about some of the struggles that he faced in 2 Corinthians in particular toward the middle of his life. And he had already been through three beatings with a cat of nine tails. He'd been through five beatings with rods. He'd been through three shipwrecks. He'd already been arrested and imprisoned many times. He'd spent many days, he said, in the deep, out in the water after the shipwrecks. 
Paul writes that in 2 Corinthians, which he wrote in the middle of his ministry in about 55 or 56 AD. So it was about halfway through Paul's ministry. He'd already gone through all of that. And in response to that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he writes these words. The, the New American Standard is how I memorize. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. The Christian Standard Bible translates it this way. We do not give up, even though our outer person is being destroyed, because our inner person is being renewed day by day. And think about Paul's suffering when you hear these next few words. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable, eternal weight of glory. Now, Paul, if I'd been beaten with a cat of nine tails three times, I'd been in prison time and again, I'd been beaten with rods by Roman guards, I'd been in multiple shipwrecks as I pursued the, the passion of sharing the gospel, if that's what I'd been through over the last 10 years, I probably would not describe it as momentary light affliction. But Paul says, in comparison to the glory that God has set aside for us in the future, even that is momentary light affliction. There's nothing, nothing, no amount of suffering that you can face on this earth that's even comparable to the glory that is reserved for you in Christ for all of eternity. Nothing compares. Nothing on this earth adds up. And so Paul says, we don't give up. We don't lose heart. We keep pressing forward because we have this hope that only comes from Christ. In verse 18 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he finishes that chapter with this. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what we see is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Amen. That's what Peter is telling us here. We love an unseen Savior who is eternal. We believe in impossible blessings. We rejoice with indescribable joy, and we never lose heart. Because what God has stored up for us through our living hope in Christ Jesus doesn't even compare to all of the suffering that could be piled on us in this present world. When we choose a life of faith, the Lord is with us. He does not promise to be some cosmic candy machine that you can go to and say the right mantra or pray the right prayer and he's automatically gonna give you your, what you want or your blessing. But what he does promise is his presence with his people. He's always with you. If you've been here very long, you've heard me tell story after story after story. I can testify to the fact that what I preached on July 23rd, 1989, is true. Christ is with us. And we walk through the troubles and the trials and the suffering of this life by grace through faith. And when we do that, we will experience indescribable joy that others can't understand. We'll experience impossible blessings. We'll see God do things that you can't describe in human terms. We'll see God show up 
where people would say God would never be. We'll see lives saved and transformed that people would say could never be transformed. And you'll literally get to see God move in a way that you couldn't imagine. Sometimes in such clear ways that regardless of everything else going on, you cannot deny that God's there and that God spoke. He promises he will be with you, that he'll never leave us. His spirit will be with us and in us. His promise is not that we'll get the best of this world. His promise is that we'll get his best that is far superior to anything that this world has to offer. Christian, you may not get the best of this world, but if you walk by faith, you'll get the best of Christ. You'll get the best of what he has to offer. And this leads to a joy that is indescribable in human terms. You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Wataga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Wataga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwataga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.